Well, today is the second in our three-part series on the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is three chapters long. It's just a short little book, and uh, it, it historically has a lot of significance, but it challenges us in the big questions of life. And so I'm going to read a, a verse from Habakkuk chapter 2, and it's actually a verse that Paul references in Romans. He said, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So let's pray. Lord, teach us today from your word. What a challenging three chapters. Help us with our challenging life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Historical background, Habakkuk finds himself uh, living in the southern portion of a broken country. Uh, about 200 years before this, about 900 years before Jesus, the 12 tribes of Israel break apart, 10 to the north and 2 to the south. The north calls themselves Israel, the south calls themselves Judah. And about 722, so 700 years before Jesus, the, the nation of Israel in the north is taken, remember we talked about last year, taken by Babylon, called the Babylonian exile, where they for 70 years, are pulled away, right? And uh, a lot of their culture's lost. A lot of their language is lost. A lot of their faith is lost during this period. And Judah is in the south. They weren't taken by Babylon. In fact, Babylon, then after the exile, starts a war in the north with the Assyrians. Uh, and and this, this conflict is going on. And the Medo-Assyrian uh, go- government takes over destroys Babylon, and now they are coming down to take Judah. Not only that, Habakkuk is looking at Judah as a nation, and they're not following God. They're very corrupt. They're seeing injustice after injustice. People are not taking care of each other. People are cruel to each other. And last week, Habakkuk comes with the two big questions that Habakkuk has. Why and how long? It is the question of all of our lives at some point. Why and how long? Habakkuk is different than any other prophet in all the Bible because for the most part, all the other prophets usually talk to people about God, but Habakkuk talks to God about people. He has a conversation. and In fact, the three chapters are essentially two conversations and kind of an ending prayer. And we went over the first conversation last week where he's like, okay, God, it doesn't make sense. Why would you, first of all, destroy the north? And we see the, the Israelites gone. And now we see impending doom coming to us in Judah. And not only that, we're so corrupt, we're so evil. Like, what are you doing, God? And God's answer in a summary was, if I were to tell you, you wouldn't even believe me. It's beyond our understanding. And And often that's a struggle for us because we want answers to the plights of the world. We want answers to what's happening around us. And so that's the first conversation. And now we're getting into the second conversation. Remember, the name Habakkuk, this guy's name means wrestler. Maybe you name your kid wrestler because he comes out tough. I don't know. But he wrestles with the tough questions of life and needs answers. So this is his second question of God. This is what we're going to be going through, beginning with verse 12 of chapter 1. 
Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate treacherous? Why are you silent with the wicked? Swallow up those who are righteous than themselves. You have made many people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures you have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up from the hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nation without mercy? He's kind of questioning, why are you allowing the Assyrians to flourish? They're even more evil than we are. And then his kind of resolve statement before God responds to him, his resolve statement. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So today we're just going to be talking a little bit about patience and the role of patience when we see really hard things happening in our lives and around us. We're going to be talking a little bit about the consequences of sin, And finally, we're going to be talking about seeking God instead of his creation. Because God's response is very unique. Let's look first about being patient for God's plan to be revealed. Habakkuk chapter 2. Then the Lord replied. This is what God is replying to Habakkuk's frustration. Why are you letting these evil people who destroy everything come in and destroy your nation? Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God is saying here, my answer to the, to the world situation, the geopolitical structure that's happening, why Assyria is flourishing and why so many of God's people are being destroyed. Why even within God's people we're seeing injustice and corruption, even within God's nation. He's saying, just wait. Write, write, what I, write down what I'm going to say because I'm faithful. But you're going to have to wait for the answer. It's going to come in, in the right time, in the right way, in the right place. Patience truly is an act of our will and our mind. Something we got to choose to do. I am not a patient person. I I like things now. I like them on my timetable. But we have to choose to be patient to God's timing. A couple examples we see in Scripture about God's timing. First off is when Jesus comes. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, maybe some five, 6,000 years before Jesus comes, and we see uh, that God gives this great prophetic word, we call it a covenant, to David in chapter 12 of Genesis, that through his line, through his children, 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 grandchildren, 
through all of your children, you are going to bless the nations. You're going to bless the world. The day is coming. So Abraham might have thought, oh, well, maybe it's my son Isaac, or, or maybe it's my grandson. Or, but no, it's generation after generation of waiting. And actually, actually, we see in Scripture an answer to that, Galatians 4, 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. At just the right time in history, Jesus came to earth. It's like, well, why did he wait so long? I don't know. God's timing. And Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. Scripture is very clear. But we've been waiting 2,000 years. The disciples really thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. And still we're kind of sitting back saying, okay, any time now. We get frustrated with God's timing. What about Esther? Esther is kind of sold off, taken off to be the queen of a country, of a people she was not a part of. But God positioned her in just the right place, at just the right time, where she gets an opportunity to save the entire Israel nation by herself. And her words, very, very popular. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, her uncle says. Who knows, but just the right timing, God has you in this place. We need to be patient. Understand God's timing. My son's a drummer. Uh, my son had one drumming lesson, and he's a drummer. That's frustrating, right? <laughs> I don't know if you notice me sitting up in the front or the second row up here. I can't even clap. Like, if somebody's not clapping on the platform, I'm just, I'm, I'm lost. I'm lost, right? But... Growing up with a worship leader in the family, growing up with a drummer and a bass player, my, in fact, at one point, Evan says, it's like the second week of August, he says to Christine, like, can I play bass on the worship team? This is when we're in Ukraine. And she's like, you don't play bass. I'm going to learn the bass. And he, he like spent like three or four days on YouTube, and he was the best player we had two weeks later, you know. It's just frustrating. But I've I've learned over the years that the drummer has this, this statement, and we all know it, we all feel it. We've got great drummers here, right? So thankful for all our great drummers. But they call it being in the pocket. And we all feel it because we don't even hear him. It's just perfectly right there. But when you're not in the pocket, everybody knows it. Right? Come on. The drummer in the front, right? We all just kind of sense like, eh. Right? We can trust God's timing. We may not agree with it. Even so much as be frustrated with it. But patience says, I know you're in the pocket. I know you're exactly where you need to be. We need to have patience and use our will and our mind to trust patience. Also, we need to look to Jesus that passage we read made it very, very clear that we are, we are who we are out of faith. Not because we are in control of every decision, not because we are in control of everything in the world, but because we have faith in God beyond our experience. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but, but, that's us, but, the righteous will live by faithfulness. 
over and over again throughout all of Scripture, we see that faith is essential for our well-being, for our relationship with God, even though we don't have all the answers. Romans 1.17, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Again, Galatians 3.11, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Thomas, Thomas couldn't deal with it. He needed to know for sure. Are you really the risen Christ? Are you really him? And Jesus says, yeah, come, touch, touch the holes in my hand. Here, feel my side. Right? He, he got to hold him. And he said then, like, others will be blessed because they haven't seen and believed. That's us. We have to be patient and trust that God is in control of this stuff that we can't be in control of, even when we ask why and how long. Why and how long. So we've been looking a little bit about patience, and that's hard for us, but let's look a little bit about God's response because he talks about the nature of sin, especially the nature of the Assyrians and how they are just destroying the world with how they're living. Because here's the thing. Sin has natural consequences, and we need to do our best to avoid them. Now, we are a people of grace. We are here because we truly believe that as we read the Word of God, it shows us that we can receive grace free from God just by faith, right? That it's completely a free gift from God. And that's so true, that God takes away the penalty of sin, what we don't often talk about is the consequences of sin. Right? Because we all know that, right? That God does an amazing job of taking away the penalty of sin. No longer is there, like, anything against us and God. He, he just doesn't even remember it. He takes it away from, from the record. All of our failures are gone. But guess what? We still live in those consequences, don't we? A lot of us live in situations where consequences of our choices are constant. And it's easy for us to take for granted grace. And knowing grace will come, even if I struggle with my sin, grace will come. And the penalty will be gone. But guess what? Consequences are still there. Sin is sin not because God wants to put us in a box. But sin is sin because it destroys our lives. Consequences are real. Our first house we purchased, kind of downtown, kind of janky neighborhood in Green Bay, if you believe there's a janky neighborhood in Green Bay. Um, we had the nicest house in the worst neighborhood. Don't do that. And I had a small lawn, really mature trees in the backyard. We were only there for a couple of years. This is right before we went to Ukraine. Um, and uh, I wasn't a real big lawn guy, but I did my best to take care of it. And it was so nice because one spring out of nowhere, some, some pretty, pretty purple flowers started popping up. And I thought, wow, what a blessing. Like somebody put some wildflowers out, you know, and I, and, and I thought, oh, maybe it's clover or something. And by fall, my backyard was a dust bowl. I mean, there wasn't a lick of grass left in the backyard. And I remember sitting with my buddy and I'm like, 
dude, I watered the thing, I cut the thing, and there's nothing there. And he says, oh, you got the creeping Charlie. Which, by the way, is the best name for a weed I've ever heard in my life, right? The creeping Charlie. It's beautiful purple flowers everywhere in your beautiful green lawn. But by the end of the season, your lawn's gone, right? The creeping Charlie's come in. And, and that's the reality of sin, isn't it? It's a new name for sin. It's a good one, right? Creeping Charlie. It seems like a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But the consequences are real. Not only to us. They they have this way of leaking into the people we care for. Let me look at a couple of the responses that we see from God and the questions from the questions that Habakkuk had. First of all, he talks about violence and how it is repaid with violence. The natural repercussion of us being violent people is violence upon ourselves. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will, not, will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For they have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Now, most of us aren't going out plundering this afternoon, right? Violence is definitely a part of our culture. Violence can become part of our lives. How many of you have ever gotten, like, cut off and violence just comes out really fast, right? I've been there. That was usually Tuesday in Kiev traffic, right? Like, traffic in Kiev was just so bad, and you could not drive defensively. You had to drive offensively to survive. It's just kind of a perspective change, right? I almost fall asleep every time I get in the car here, you know, because it was so exciting there. But I, I could find myself getting violent on the way to church. Just me. <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King, those great words, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The natural repercussion of violence in our hearts, in our attitudes, always going to be violence against us. Matthew 5, 9 challenges us. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. Now, we may not in this Western church always take on the posture of the pacifist. But we are called to be gentle. Also, our passage then goes on from violence to corruption. Corruption does not bring security, though we think it can. Woe to him who builds his house 
by unjust gain, setting his net on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house, forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo out. Corruption. Maybe, maybe we're not corrupt in the church world. Maybe you're corrupt in the business world. I don't know. Nobody sees, nobody knows. But corruption is all around us and we think if we can just get a little bit more by any means necessary, by twisting any rule necessary, that somehow we can be more secure and more stable. But by corruption that we've gained it, by corruption we'll lose it. There'll be no security in the things we gain if we're gaining it by ill means. God sees it all. I was in Ukraine. This was probably 12 years ago, like I said, traffic. I was... uh, I was in the middle lane and at a stoplight bringing somebody to the airport, which is like a three-hour project, right? When anybody asks to go to the airport, you just say no, right? (laughs) And from the middle lane, the, the light turned green, and a guy in a very black SUV turns across all the traffic in front of me and takes off my front bumper, right? And uh, he comes out, and uh, he's obviously very drunk, a large Ukrainian man, bald, all in leather, black-tinted, Escalade window, right? Comes, comes walking out, and, and he's drunk. And he's very drunk, right? We have a symbol in Ukraine for people who drink too much. It's just this, right? Like people just kind of do that, you know? So if every once in a while you see somebody and they're a little off, you just look at the other people and go... So, like, immediately I noticed, like, he's a little bit of an aggressor, a little uncomfortable, and he comes up to me and says, I don't want to deal with cops. I'll pay for it all. I'll take care of it all. I'll fix your vehicle for you. And my first reaction was, no, that's not going to happen. He said, how much do you think it's going to take to fix it? I said, $2,000. I don't know. And he pulls out the rubber band wad. Have you ever seen the rubber band wad, right? So... And he, it's all $100 bills. He takes the big, thick rubber band off. and He said, come to this address next week. I'll fix your car. When the car's fixed, you give me back the money. Good deal. See you next week. Show up. Sure enough, he's got a car shop. Fix up my car like new. Gave him back the $2,000. All done. All good. Until a week later. And he shows up in my office, and I got this little office in a basement of a seminary. We had just been in the church a short amount of time. We were meeting in a garage behind the building. There were like 200 of us meeting in a garage behind the building. And he comes into my office, greets me, how you doing? And he said, you know what? You need a new building. I said, yeah, I do. We need a new church building. And he says to me, I'm going to build you a building. Where do you want it? How big do you want it? I'm going to build you a building. (laughs) Let's go. He said, I just need a letter from you that says to the government that I attend your church and I go through spiritual or, or religious persecution and it will get me a U.S. visa. I thought... How can you start a church on a lie? How can you build a church on corruption? 
And I said no. He was very angry. Nobody says no to a guy like this, right? He was very angry. I got really scared, and I locked the door when he left. I don't know who in this room this is for because it's the word of God, so I'm just going to go through it verse by verse. But it's very obvious that corruption, lying for personal gain, was something that they saw in the nation, saw in Assyria coming down. Scripture is very clear. There's nothing to be gained by it. There's no security in it. Self-promotion destroys. Woe to him who builds a city... And bloodshed with bloodshed and establishes a town in injustice. They're building a city to make a name for themselves. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? You're working so hard to build a city, you're exhausting yourselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. There's no building ourselves up, no building up our name. Our job is to put the name of Jesus first. I had a professor when I went to Central Bible College. Anytime he felt like people were like, oh, that's a really good thing to say, or yeah, I really like what you said, which he was an amazing preacher, he would step back and he would just do this. And it was really uncomfortable, you know, but it was his way of saying I don't want to take the accolades of people. I want, to, I want God to get it. I want God to get it. So we would mock him all the time. Every once in a while, he'd say something, and the whole place would go like this, you know, just to, just to kind of reinforce what he's trying to say here. Matthew twenty three twelve says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our pride, our desire to lift ourselves up, will eventually tear us down. There's always a consequence to sin. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. We don't have to establish them ourselves. He'll take care of it. Finally, we see tearing down others to bring, uh, uh, will eventually bring us down. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors Pouring it from the wineskin till they're drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. I don't think this practice is common. You'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. He starts talking about this whole idea of tearing down other people and mocking them and making them feel bad and destroying them. This is a practice we see so often in adolescence and the common conversation is now bullying, which is essentially in our rudimentary development of who we are, is saying, I want to make myself feel better by pushing everybody else down. It's actually, can be a tool in marriage. Did you know that? In the moments when we feel frustrated the most, when moments when we're in an argument and we don't feel comfortable, rather than deal with the discussion we have right now, we'll grab into the past 
right? A failure of our spouse. We'll grab into the past something they've done and we'll bring it back into the presence just to put it in their face again to lift ourselves up for a moment in our own conflict. So it's not just simply for the murderous Assyrians or for the corrupt Judah. It's even with our own lives that we would tear somebody else down in order to lift ourselves up. We see over and over again that maybe, maybe we're just dealing with the consequences of our sin. Praise God that the penalty is gone. Praise God that we are not held in responsibility. But we may think nobody sees our sin, and just because God forgives, it does not mean the consequences aren't screaming around us. God is saying, i got to deal with this. Finally, we see in the response, seek God as the real focus of your life and not what's created. Habakkuk 2.18, of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For no one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. I don't really carve that much. I don't have a mantle that we have things on that we worship. But I think I struggle with idol worship just as much as they did back then. Coveting the things of this world, coveting what is, thinking that if only I had those things, my life would be better, things would be better, things would be changed. But all of my stuff, it's just hollow. All of the things, all of the trappings, all the things we think in this world are really important. The material things are hollow. Even our acquisition of our savings, our 401k, all of the things that we feel brings us security, power, affluence, position, hollow. And we hear today that the challenge before us in Habakkuk that even though even though we are so frustrated with the big question that Habakkuk was frustrated with. God, why? Why is this world like this? Why do we experience this? Why do we see sin? Why do we see everything falling down around us? Lord, is there a spiritual battle that has brought me to this place? And a lot of times there is. A lot of times the struggles that we are going through through are spiritual battles against us. But hang on a second because I think our ability as Christians for self-deception is high. And sometimes the struggles we are going through are simply the consequences of our choices. And so our struggle when, when Judah is saying... Why? Why are we going to go through this hard time? Why and how long is this going to last? And he's saying, well, look at how you're acting. Look at the consequences of your life. Hey, guys, I am the first to champion, to stand up here and scream with all my lungs that the grace of God covers everything. He covers all of our sins. We can't take for granted of that. 
and not recognize that sin isn't going to hurt us. And to finally say, you know what? The struggles I'm going through may just because of my choices. I put myself here. Now, can God bring us out of that? Yes and amen. That's the sanctifying work of God. That's the healing work of God. And that's the stuff that we need to be a part of. Right? But just simply say, I'll just pray about it and it'll all be gone. It's a little bit shallow. It's a little bit manipulative of grace. I believe in very free grace. Let's not be careful. Let's be very careful not to call it cheap grace. I don't know the whys of your life. It could be that the struggles that you are experiencing right now had nothing to do with your choices. Nor is anybody in this room, including myself, a judge. I don't know how long it's going to last. But I do know if we go back to the message from last week, when the question was, God, what are you doing? It's like, my plan will come at its appointed time. I'm coming with an answer. Trust me for the answer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'd like everybody just to close your eyes. There's just this beauty of when we don't look around, we can kind of get alone with God in a room full of people. And maybe like Habakkuk's, you know, struggle with Judah, Habakkuk's struggle with Assyria, how Lord was responding to him. You're looking at your own life and questioning about sin and And maybe, though you are a follower of Jesus or interested in Jesus, or maybe you're here today, a lifetime of relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been holding sin a little bit too close to your life. Whether it was the coveting or the pride, whether it's violence and anger, Whatever it might be, whatever, I guess, the thing that you may know you struggle with. And yes, we all trust in grace, but this thing has been slowly eating away your life, eating away your joy, eating away your peace. And you would like today to just say, I'm done with it. I I want to finish. And, And really, in a practical sense, what we're talking about is habitual sin. Something you've got such a habit in that you've just accepted it. It doesn't seem like it's hurting anybody. But all sin has consequences. Today is a wonderful day. What we call repent. Turn away from it. Turn to God's plan. So with everybody's, everybody's eyes closed, 
bow your head, making this really easy for me. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to come up, make you come up here and stand or kneel because sin has a way of just making it so hard to even stand up for something important. But if it's you today, what I'd like you to do is until I see you, I'd like you just to look up at me and get eye contact with me and say, today I've been struggling with sin and I want to change today. If that's you, look up at me right now. Just take a look. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else look up at me? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? In a moment, we're going to sing Waymaker. It's a great song. It's got a way of just bringing us through the hardest times of our lives, realizing that sometimes the pains that we have are self-created ones. God today can bring restoration. God today can bring healing. God, God can day, today put you on a path towards Him. Sin is much more toxic than we think. And that's why God hates it so much. And that's why God sent His Son. And He loves us all so much that He wants to protect us from it. So let's accept today his help. A turning point. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the half dozen or so that looked up today. As I looked into their eyes for just a split second, their desire, their recognition, I got to change. Today, I pray, is a day of new beginning. February 12, 2023. February 12, 2023 is kind of a turning point for some of us to say sin is really that bad I need to get away from it it's eating away of who I could be Lord I thank you for the forgiveness of sin but Lord God help us stay away from that thing that would kill us kill us today in our everyday lives so Lord continue to do your work of sanctifying making us more like you Continue to do the healing in our lives, the repercussions of sins from our past, Lord. And Lord, bring us up so we can stand tall.